As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Parenting Beyond the Headlines. I'm Sarah Cody, and I'm here with my co-host, Amy Alamar, who I'm happy to be here with on Zoom after a couple months. We've been yes. a little bit on hiatus and we're happy to have you back. Yes, I've missed you and I've missed this. And thank you for your patience with me and keeping the show going. It's been great. Um, I had some time to focus on family, which was really important. Yeah, absolutely. And we are excited to be back together and talking today with Shafia Zaloom. We have had Shafia on before. She is an educator and an author. She has written Sex, Teens, and Everything in Between. We talked with her about that before, and we're going to get into that a little bit more again. But first, we want to touch on an article she recently wrote about for the Washington Post. It was titled, Black Teens Talk About Dating in White Communities. It caught my eye. It caught Amy's eye. Uh, so timely right now with everything that's been going on in our country. And we want to dive in. Shafia, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here again. So just start off with what prompted you to write this article. Was it a certain couple, a certain story? Was it the landscape of our country? What jump-started this? It was a combination of things. I mean, when the pandemic had started in March, um, I was talking to kids about how it was impacting how they connect and communicate. Um, and At the same time, sort of the, the Black Lives Matter movement was happening. There was a lot of media attention being given to and this, you know, light being shined on the systemic institutional racism that exists in our country on a personal, interpersonal, institutional level. Um, and, you know, I really wanted to think about, I was thinking about, you know, how can I do right by some of these, from some of my students? Um, I try to do right by all of them, but um, how could I use my platform and access my contacts in a way that I can contribute to this movement in a way that will feel meaningful um, and elevate young people's voices, specifically young black teenagers. Um, and so that's really what motivated me. And so I just reached out to a bunch of the kids who I've um, worked with, not only 
at where I teach year round, but other schools where I've consulted in different states, because I wanted to really make sure that I was inclusive of different voices and geographies. Yeah. So what exactly did you find when you dove in? I, you know, the article is multifaceted um, with, you know, the protests we've been living through, the election, the pandemic, all factoring in. Yeah, um, I discovered a whole lot and was so um, humbled by the conversations I had. I conducted 20 hours of interviews with about 10 young people, Black teenagers, who were so generous and incredibly honest and open about their experiences. Um, they were also incredibly excited about the prospect of getting this information out there. And I think one thing that struck me most as I started these interviews was the first question of, when will I get to read the article? I want to hear what everyone else has to say. Hmm. Um, and, and really want looking for affirmation in terms of their experience and how other young people like them were navigating the space, specifically in this context, predominantly white um, spaces and communities and, and what dating and relationships, you know, as, as a health educator who specializes in healthy sexuality and relationship education, like I think about that a lot, right? Like how different political and social identities intersect with um, sexuality and relationships. And so, you know, not only was I just, I, my students have always been my greatest inspiration in teachers. And so I just, I was learning so much from them. Um, I had a set of questions and I, for consistency um, and just listened, um, listened with openness. Um, I really wanted to learn and to understand and um, got so much. They had so much wisdom to share and so much that they were thinking and feeling in regards to what was happening, especially with the context of what was happening nationally and culturally um, with the Black Lives you know, matters movement and everything else. Um, and so I discovered a lot. I discovered that they are wrestling with issues that most adults are challenged by. Um, and that there really isn't a whole lot of guidance um, for them out there and how to do these things. And they're figuring a lot of it out on their own. And I don't want to minimize the important people in their lives, their friends, their parents, their families, who are role modeling certain values and ways in which we um, connect with other people and treat other people. Um, and, you know, their communication skills and their insight and capacity to have that kind of perspective and express it, you know, it doesn't just, it, it, it's something that's nurtured and cultivated. So I don't want to minimize that. But you know, the very fact that they wanted to hear from their peers about how they were doing it too, there was a certain level of feeling alone. And, um, and so that was really why I was so grateful to be able to write the article and to have it published was because then, um, and those kids have texted me since um, to say like, oh, we're having all this conversation now and I'm talking with my friends about it and it's just been really awesome and um, thank you, you know, and, and so it's been wonderful that it's just sparked a lot of conversation and helped people understand what it means to be black in a relationship and navigating a predominantly white space. So what kinds of things, I mean, not everybody's as blessed to have you as a, a health educator, right? And so um, you, you don't wanna minimize the role. So how do we help parents know 
what can they do to support this? Like, what are the questions they can ask? Did, do you have suggestions on how to kind of approach the topic? I do. I mean, I really, um, you know, typically when I write articles, I'm giving my own advice from my years of experience and my own training and working with kids. But I did not want to presume I could do that in any way when talking specifically um, with Black youth about their experiences. And so I interviewed my colleagues who, um, you know, who are Black and work with young people of color as well and really wanted to report what they feel is important for parents to be doing. Um, because I really felt like my role in writing this piece was to listen and to report and to share. Um, and so I, did never, I didn't want to presume that I could do something because I identify as a woman of color and I'm multiracial. And um, you know I talk to lots of kids about these sort of issues all the time, but I wanted to be very specific about this one. Um, and make sure that we were highlighting black voices in regards to it. So, you know, the advice that people had were, was to um, really make sure that young people of color, black uh, students in particular, if they are going to schools where they are in the minority, that they also have other communities in which they see themselves and connect with other people um, who are black and of color. And also that, um, you know, we're very specific and intentional about telling them the things that they experience that have to do with institutional racism and everything else is not their fault. Um, that that is an incredibly important message to be communicating explicitly and in concrete terms to kids because they're all concrete thinkers. Um, also engaging kids in dialogue by asking questions like, well, what are you going for? How is this gonna serve you? Um, you know, helping them to understand because of the realities of the world we, we're living in, what the stakes are, what the risks are, what that means for them as they navigate the space with the majority who may not have to take those things into consideration. And to really just be available to process, to talk, to share um, without judgment, without shame, um, and to ask, you know, what, how, kind of questions versus why, which is, which can come across as judgmental, but like the what, the how, you know, to say, I notice um, in my observations or my experience, this is what I'm thinking and feeling, you know, those kind of conversations that really help kids explore what's going on for them and express how they're feeling. Great. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It struck me that teen dating is so hard anyway, right? And then, yes. you know, you add in these different factors, and there are different factors that come into play. You write about that a little bit. You know, there's wondering sometimes, is this a, are they dating me for a reason? Is it a fantasy? Is this a a phase, something they're trying out? I mean, how do you couple, did you hear a lot of that? It seemed that you did in in reading your article. Oh, for sure. You know, there's a young woman um, who's a former student of mine and she was sharing how on Tinder, actually a few of the young women who I interviewed um, talked about how they get you know, on, on these dating apps, they'll get things like, is it true? You know, the darker, the berry, the sweeter, the juice, so these very kind of objectifying, mm. um, fetishizing kind of um, approaches to establishing some form of connection and, um, you know, how that feels. Um, but then also the question that came up for all of the young people who I interviewed was, you know, when, thinking about a prospective person, like someone of interest who they think about dating, the, the question always came up was, well, are they into black people? Like, are they okay dating brown and black people, people of color? Have they, have they had that experience before? What do you know about them? What are their politics? You know, things like that sort of friend sourcing to find, to do a little research first um, to, to establish that because those things are really real for those kids um, and can make it hard. Healthy vulnerability in general um, is difficult to do. And we live in a you know, greater culture that actually discourages us from being vulnerable in healthy ways, which we need to be if we're going to authentically connect with people. So, so, you know, there are, there's multiple layers for sure. That's interesting. I- I was going to say just on top of everything, uh, dating in a pandemic, you know, teenagers are hardwired to look for their people, to look for their tribe, right? Like that's like their, that's, that's their main job. Um, And they're already not able to do that. And then I imagine dating on top of it, like it's just really complicated. Um, What, what's been your experience, you know, working with kids in the pandemic and dating? It's really diverse. Um, And a lot of it depends on, you know, like a lot of different things in a lot of families and how kids um, find each other, communicate with each other, um, the ways in which they do that, like what they are resourced with to be able to do that varies. So there's a lot of variety. You know, initially when everything was shutting down and the pandemic started, um, sexting was something that people were, you know, talking a lot about, you know, are kids sexting more? What's happening? Any kid I asked or talked to about it thought it was definitely happening more. Um, I did my own little research, University of Indiana, some professors there who were very helpful. And they were looking more at sort of patterns 
in the pandemic context of adults and sexting, but you know, predicted it probably wouldn't be so different with younger people. And basically what they said was, if you had a propensity to do it before, you were doing more of it. If you didn't, then you probably weren't. Um, and in fact, the overall trend was people were doing less, um, except for those people who were who were doing more. So um, I think that's pretty consistent with what I was hearing. Um, it was really interesting too, though, sort of talking to um, my students about the sexting piece and some of their concerns around it um, and their questions that they had, their curiosities about, um, okay, so, you know, if I'm sexting with this person and I'm feeling kind of confident and kind of bold, right, because they have this sense of security because they're isolated and at home and whatever else, when this is over, um, am I going to be obligated to follow through with everything I've been sexting on? Mm. Um, and, mm. you know, some young people expressing they're sexting more with their partners because that's the only way by which they can sort of explore sexuality with, and intimacy with each other is, is through their digital devices at the time. And then others who were saying that um, they were too afraid to and they thought that they were going to lose the emotional connection that they had with their partners. Oh. And then others who were trying to, who were searching for and trying to establish emotional connection, but through a digital device, which we all know can be somewhat challenging for different yeah. reasons, for sure. What about, um, and, what about porn consumption? Do you feel, we talked about oh, that the last time we talked to you, but do you feel like that's out of control a little bit with everybody, you know, stuck oh, in yeah. home? Oh yeah. Well, and I wrote a pandemic porn article and I could not find a media outlet to pick it up because everyone was, I think, fearful, which I understand of like bringing this up, but pandemic porn was a huge thing. So, you know, kids were saying, you know, Pornhub, which tends to be the pornography, if your kid is watching porn, I want to say that I don't, we can't assume that all kids are watching porn at home because we're in a pandemic and they're on their digital devices more. There's other things that are happening, I think, in social media that we have to pay attention to as well, not just focus on pornography. But Pornhub gave all its members a month of premium free because of the pandemic. So they had access to all kinds of videos. Oh, generous. Before. Yes. <laughs> um, for sure. And then in talking to some of my male students, they're like, yeah, I'm bored, you know, like, a <laughs> yeah. so yes, I'm watching more porn. Um, and then, you know, when I wrote that article, I believe it was around April, May, there had been 17 million searches on Pornhub for mm. pandemic and COVID porn alone. So the eroticizing of the pandemic in particular as well, um, and how that had become a theme of porn um, that had emerged. So um, I wrote a piece, but you know, people weren't as interested despite the fact it was going on. I think there was just so much to handle and to think yeah. about that that would have felt really overwhelming, which I get. But all the more reason why I was like, but it's happening and, and so we have to address it um, in some way. And I think that that has continued um, I think the majority of young people who are watching porn, you know, will do so because they're bored um, and yeah, a host of other reasons, too. But that tends to be one in particular. Um, and it's still going on. For and sure. that can really, you know, you've talked about this, but that that can really affect their development in their sexuality too. watching and, and certainly too much. Um, 
I think if they're compulsive about it, you know, um, there's a lot of different data that's out there that's mixed when it comes to that. And it really depends on the personality of the kid and other factors in their lives that would come together to converge to create that sort of a situation. Um, And there's a lot more research being done now to determine like, so is it, are these other factors then creating a predetermined, you know, particular propensity to watch pornography or is the pornography that they're watching creating these other factors? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of research out there. Um, A lot of it's mixed. There's holes in, in a lot of different, you know, there's all kinds of um, ideas and theories and empirical evidence around porn and its impact on teenagers. And there is some that is significant and really important for us to take um, notice of and to address because as their brains and their sexual identities are forming, um, you know, media shapes our brain. And if this is something that they're watching on a regular basis, or this is how they're learning about sex, you know, I, I tend to say like, that's like watching the Fast and the Furious to learn how to drive. Like, it's just, it's not a, a, a real representation of pe- mm-hmm. most people's healthy um, relationships and sexual practices. So just to kind of sum up on that line of thought, as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully in the next year or what have you, uh, where does that leave this generation? Does it leave this generation with some issues that will kind of need to be worked out? Do you fear? You know, I think that remains to be seen. It's really interesting because I'm also hearing about kids who are in relationship with each other. So they are co-quarantining with their partners. Hmm. So they're, in their pod then is their romantic partner. And those two families have decided that that's okay and safe for them. And so they're spending even more time together than they would, okay. which comes with its issues and its benefits. It does. it does, right? right. Like, so yeah. authentic connection, nurturing a relationship, especially within a culture that glorifies impersonal sexual, you know, performance. Um, but then they're not with, in terms of boundaries and having their own independence and, and having their own friendships and things like that, like that's different. Cause they're not in their pot. You know, those folks may not be in their pod. Right. The relationship could be rushed or it could be sort of skewed because it's just them without other factors, you know? Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and then, you know, I have a kid who went to college and I've been talking to her friends and other alums, um, of the high schools I've worked at who have been on college campuses and there's plenty of action going on there. Like it's, you know, some campuses, it's as if the pandemic doesn't even exist. Hotspots. Right. I mean, totally. I mean, and as, as the parent of a college student, um, I'm hearing about these things firsthand, but also from a lot of the students I've worked with over the years. Um, and I've written a couple articles during the pandemic about that too and how consent in a different context of COVID actually feels different to teenagers. And sometimes those skills don't translate. Um, but, you know, so there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, and then there's other kids who are committed to being COVID safe and conscious, who have health issues, who have parents who have health issues, who have grandparents who are a part of their family circle, um, who are not. And, And I think hearing from them too about feeling even more isolated um, and what that does to their mental health and feeling like, you know, there are some kids who have different rules who are allowed to do these things and then they can't and they feel torn 
because they want to honor and respect, of course, the health of their family members or what they're committed to in terms of a greater public health initiative, but then feel like they have FOMO because they see all this coming in on their feed because they're getting it through social media and they feel like they're being left behind. I think honestly, Um, Sarah, that's like a whole another show because I know I'm seeing it with my own children. I know I'm I'm hearing that question from parents, you know, how do we kind of keep our own restrictions when others are not? Um, And then there's the issue of shaming. Like you, Yes. You know, people yes. make their choices and you don't want to necessarily shame them if it's not the choice you would have made. And you don't want to teach your kids to do that. And so it's, it's complicated. It is definitely complicated. And certainly in, in an intimate relationship as a teenager. Well, all these issues oh, for sure. we can just keep talking to Shafia. We can yeah, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> back on and just keep digging in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then the other, you know, the other part of it is some of the educators who I'm talking to because my business has moved online and I'm visiting other schools through Zoom. It actually makes it quite easy and less expensive. And it's not the same, certainly, but we're doing it. In talking to educators, is their concern that their juniors and seniors, especially their seniors, you know, junior and senior year is typically when statistically more kids start to actually have some sexual experiences. Um, it certainly isn't all of them, but that there is a bit of an increase and that they're not that some may not be then having those experiences in high school within this um, context and then will transition to college um, without having had either the typical curriculum and programming around this sort of stuff and or the real life experiences that they'll learn from and be prepared then to go on. And so there's a variety of things sort of to Mm -hmm. answer your question more directly, Sarah, that we'll have to really be intentional about addressing with these, um, you know, the ages of the kids who are, you know, during this contextual, this time um, that will need supplemental information about certain things. Yeah. All right. Well, we will continue to have this discussion with you, Shavia. I think you're so wise and full of interesting things to say. Just remind listeners where they can follow up with you on your website. Your website is? Yes. It's shafiazaloom.com. Um, and then my book is Sex Teens and Everything in Between. And it's a great read. Yeah. Thank you great. so much. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, listener, for joining us. We are thrilled to have you. Uh, Send us any ideas that you have, questions you have, and uh, we are uh, hoping you will follow us and like us and comment on us and all those beautiful things on social media. Um, You can also find me at Amy Alomar on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm on Facebook as well, of course. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Cody Media. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and we will spend time with you again. Stay safe and take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.